thank you everybody for coming out. I hope everybody's having a great South by Southwest. Um, I want to thank my panelists. Um, this is transforming online popularity to offline success. The idea being that you know, for a long time people were like, "How do you go viral?" Now we're having six, we're having examples of artists that, you know, more or less might have started their popularity online. And then what do they do after that? Uh, my, the panelists are Adina Friedman, uh, manager at Adam Factory, friend, previously at Adam Factory, <laughs> currently had friends at work, and she manages Lindsay Sterling. Um, Genevieve Jewel Thompson, should I say all three? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, manager for Lennon and Maisie, uh, and uh, partner at Back 40 Entertainment, a uh, label and production and publishing company based in Nashville, and the artist Ron Pope, uh, formerly of New York, now Nashville-based independent artist, uh, one of the top-grossing independent artists. Uh, and just to be upfront, my name is Chris Mooney. I am the uh, director of artist relations at TuneCore, and all three of our panelists uh, use TuneCore. I just I'm going to tap into the people that I know and their stories uh, for this conversation. Um, we are going to um, sort of divide this up into three sections: sort of an early, a mid-career, and a current. What's going to happen in the future? And we're going to have little video clips for each part of that. So, um, the first clip. This panel is way better than next door, I promise. Yeah, that's just yelling. No conversations. <laughs> it's a scream therapy panel. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, the first uh, video clip will have Ron Pope performing in his uh, living room and Lindsay Sterling's uh, first ever performance and an early Lennon and Maisie. So just like every superhero movie, you need an origin story. And so this is basically where um, these artists began. So I don't know if, Adina, you want to start and just sort of explain like how long ago that was. Tell us about what, how Lindsay Sterling started, and then we'll just go down the row. Yeah, so I mean, that video um, was actually from, she, she did a junior Miss pageant back in Arizona, and um, there's a talent portion of the competition and um, she wanted to do something that stood out and was a violin player and was like what can I do to make myself stand out um, and she always loved dancing and so she combined the two things um, that performance was not actually kind of what got her kind of quote-unquote viral but um, you know she she basically took all the things she loved and started putting them together and uh, she was on America's Got Talent kind of got brutally kind of ridiculed by the judges and and kind of went away after that and kind of really honed on her honed in on her craft um, only to like a year and a half or so later um, meet someone um, who started telling her all about YouTube and so he said you know why don't you let me shoot a music video for you I'll put it on my channel I'll link back to yours um, and you'll get a free video out of it so she did that um, put that up on YouTube and then kind of just watch the numbers kind of increase exponentially. And so when was she first on YouTube? How many uh, years ago? That was uh, like really when she start first started getting kind of big on YouTube was 2012. Okay. So and then um, and then it just kind of grew from there and, and started, you know, doing regular videos um, and then watching, you know, like, you know, watching the numbers on iTunes literally go from like five or six tracks to like thousands and thousands of tracks. And so Lennon and Maisie performing, I'm assuming, in their house with mm -hmm. some cups. So yeah. how does, tell us about that and when that, and when that was. Yes, yeah, so that was about, <clears throat> that was also, I think, in 2012 um, when that, they posted that. They posted that video because they're from Canada. They live in Nashville, and so none of their family gets to see them perform. So their parents would just from time to time post stuff for their family. Um, and basically overnight that that video went viral. Um, they woke up the next morning and had you know already millions of views, got called to be on Good Morning America. Um, and simultaneously, they actually um, they're on the TV show Nashville, which now airs on CMT. Um, so they had actually already been cast on Nashville. So it was actually just an, an incredible coincidence that they had this one side of their career, the music kind of just take off, and then um, they had this whole acting side that, again, Nashville hadn't aired yet, um, but they had this whole acting side kind of going on at the same time. So um, that was what caused everything to really uh, move into motion for them. Um, and at that point, I think they were the old ages of nine and 13, so <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone you know, was expecting or ready for it, but um, you know, we 
took that and started to really leverage it and keep growing their career from that. And were you already working with them at that point? I wasn't um, at that point, but shortly after. Sure. And Ron, that was your living room? Yeah, that used to be my living room. <laughs> um, I, uh, I found a Tony Award in that building. That's what I was telling Genevieve. Uh, it's a true story. So I don't know what year that was, uh, maybe 2006 or 2007. I'm not sure. Um, I was always in a band. Uh, I was always you know, putting out music and playing and touring. And uh, I started to put music. I put my music on TuneCore uh, in like towards the end of 2007, and I, I, I ended up kind of breaking on MySpace in a, in a kind of a crazy way. Like I'd been kind of cultivating a fan base for a number of years, and then it just kind of started rumbling down the mountain. And then because I had used TuneCore to put up my music, I was able to turn that into money uh, and then uh, you know, devote my, you know, all of my time and energies to promoting my music and making music. So I kind of kept making records and kept touring and grew my thing from there and so I kind of have a you know big web presence as a result and we tour all over the world and do that sort of thing so all that we built a music career around the internet success and you mentioned MySpace and I've heard you say at other times that anything that comes out of any new platform you're just gonna dive in and try it out is that yeah. accurate I mean pretty pretty much so uh, we you know the there's like a function on TuneCore where you click a button and then any new store that pops up they put you in the new store uh when that happened with spotify i had never heard about it and then one of my friends was one of the early hires at the company and i called him and i was like hey uh i just got all this money from this thing called spotify uh is this mine can i keep this is this real because if i take it out of here i'm not giving it back to you this is my money now right he's like no really it's a, it's a real thing and so like we we embrace i mean we embrace streaming kind of I think before a lot of people did, I, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post in 2012, and then another one for Billboard in 14, kind of defending Spotify when other people were uh, abusing them, I, I guess. <laughs> and what about uh, like social media platforms, like just other ways to promote yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as people as people shift and they and they move, I think it's incredibly important, you know, like to to move with them. It, it doesn't matter if you don't like you know, whatever, you know, whatever the next Twitter is, whatever the next thing is that's Twitter. It doesn't matter if you like it or not, or if you think that you understand it or not. Like if people live there, that's where you have to go. Uh, un unfortunately, you know, like the, the, the era of like, uh, being able to cultivate some sort of mystique, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's dead. You gotta, you gotta go where the people live and interact with them there. It's why it doesn't matter if you don't want to put your music on Spotify. If people are using Spotify, that's where your music has to be. And if you don't put it there, you're going to miss those people. Like no one's, and you know, no one's going to use title because your music <laughs> isn't on Spotify. Like if your music's not on Spotify and they don't want to use another service, you're just they're just not going to hear you. Yeah, I don't think he was saying people don't use title, but they're not going to change platforms yeah, people, just to a find Spotify, you. A yeah. Spotify user is not going to switch to title just because <laughs> your music is not there. Right, um, and. Not an amazing nine and thirteen. You were saying at the time, mm -hmm. did they have any idea about like strategy? Was that in no. their mindset? <laughs> no, their their strategy was like, hey, we found a fun song. Let's like let's perform it. Mm -hmm. um, no, and it it definitely took a while to kind of make them understand. Um, what strategy? I remember. I literally remember saying that word to Maisie one day, and she's like, "Break it down for me. What it, what does strategy mean? <laughs> like, what are we talking about here?" Um, so. I would say, and also to their parent, because they were so young when everything started to take off, their parents really wanted to take it slow. And I think even, to be honest, a strategy to their parents was kind of a scary term as well. Um, but slowly things, you know, things didn't die down. So they realized we needed to have a plan. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, kind of the strategy in terms of them and on the music side of things um, has been to one, just allow them to grow and figure out who they want to be as artists um, without trying to put them in a box immediately. So which is why we've just kind of continued doing covers with them, um, letting them find songs that they really love and then making it their own. Um, and that really has been a big part of the strategy. Um, and then also too, because they're on the TV show and that takes up a huge portion of their time, it's been about balancing the TV show with the music and again them being so young um, I was telling these, them before you know when it come comes to booking kids 
um, you know, we'll look at a show and decide should they play the show or should they have a sleepover. Um, <laughs> uh, so those are all kind of things that, again, and within a typical adult artist, you're not factoring that into the whole thing. But with them, we have to do that. And, let's, and Lindsay, I mean, she obviously was taking herself very seriously from the beginning, but how did she go from, oh, uh, letting a friend or, or somebody she's met shoot a video to like thinking about how do I sort of develop a strategy to grow her presence online? Yeah, I mean, she was always kind of thinking about like the strategy prior to, um, to, to kind of uploading a video on YouTube. She was going around to talent agencies and management companies and labels and like trying to get music in their hands and, and really trying anything she could to kind of quote unquote make it in the music industry. And, and really it was when um, there was like some kind of seminar or something in college on YouTube and that's where she met uh, Devin Graham, who's also like a famous kind of YouTuber. Um, and he offered to make a video um, that she kind of bega began to see that YouTube was like now this place where she doesn't have to kind of wait for the validation of like a record label, a manager, anyone. She could kind of build it on her own um, and kind of form a direct connection with her fans or like, you know, people out there that then became fans. And so then she kind of started looking into, okay, so how do I, how can I grow my audience on YouTube? Well, I need to create more videos that are engaging. I need to do collaborations like with other artists who have big audiences. Um, and then, you know, what do people want out there? And it's like a lot of times it is covers or, or um, you know, she started by putting up like a Zelda medley um, because, you know, people were asking for it. So she, she kind of kept engaging the audience that she was growing with asking them what they want. And then I think one thing that I wanted to bring up, we talked about this a little bit in the back room, is that each of these artists, though, while thinking about online, were really trying to be accomplished musicians at the beginning. That was the start. Like, I'm going to develop my talent before they were developing sort of their online brand. And so, like, how long had you been playing music, Ron, when you posted, you'd say, maybe your first video? Oh, a, a, ver a very long time, <laughs> many, many, many years. And I think that's something, yeah, the, uh, the developing a presence on the Internet sometimes allows people to, to, to skirt this. You know, it's uh, like a, when you give your, you know, take kind of a holistic view of your career, uh, you know, there's lots of little pieces of it, and some of the parts that have to do with developing a web presence don't have anything to do, really, with what you need to do to entertain people in the real world. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, that, you know, it's, it's the entertainment business. You want, when, you're, when people are going to pay money to come and see you and spend an evening of their life, you know, watching you in the world, you better be able to put on a show. Like, there's a reason that Bruno Mars is successful. You know, and that p those those tours keep selling, and it's not just that there's hit records; it's that he can do the thing. He sings, and he dances, and he's entertaining. And I, I was talking about Lindsay. I, I had I hadn't heard of her at all. I didn't know about her web presence. I didn't know anything about her. And we were on a festival together a number of years ago, and I walked up. You know, and there's I don't know seven thousand or ten thousand people in front of her in front of this stage, and I stood there and I was like, oh, I get it. Like, you know, you, you watch her, she's dancing, she's exciting, she's energetic, uh, and she's, she's playing the violin. It's really unique, but it's like, this, she's, a, she's entertaining. She's an entertainer. And I think that's an important thing to kind of keep, uh, uh, you know, in mind as you're, you know, you build a web presence, and that's really cool. But if you want to take it into the world, you've got to be able to do the thing, because you're going out there and competing with the movies, and you're competing with Beyonce, you know, everything that's out there in the world. It's not... You know, people are choosing between you and all those things. So yeah, it's like you got to learn to play, and, and it took me a long time. And you got to learn to be entertaining; otherwise, people won't pay to be entertained by you. Let yeah. go, go, please. Uh, no, I was going to say that. I mean, that's a, a really good point. And and you know, like you know, many people like with America's Got Talent, like if you go and watch back the performance, you'll see it's it's not the greatest performance Lindsay's ever given. And you know, she was ridiculed for a reason. Um, but rather than kind of just going away, she honed in on her craft and she became better and she practiced and she learned to do it better and then went out and tried to do it. And that's why it's been able to translate online, offline and everywhere else. So I know we've sort of teased it, that these people have become successful. Well, let's watch a second set of videos of sort of Ron a little bit more mid-career um, and then two sisters who be get on a TV show. I think this is, you know, we've talked about it, but we've gone, we've seen Ron performing in his living room to a club, 
to being able to perform at a, f at a festival, and I think all of these artists have seen that type of growth. Can you just talk about sort of what was key for you to go from, from the living room to the club to the festival, and sort of what, what do you feel like was the biggest key to that transition for you, Ron? Well, I think besides the fact that, you know, obviously we had a, you know, we talked about the idea of strategy. We certainly had a, a strategy to continue building the web presence and going where people were and, uh, you know, going to live on, if people are on Twitter and Instagram and all those places, like, you know, and as we, we cultivated that and we began touring, uh, I also knew how to play, act, you know, could put on a show, could play music, put together a band that was fun and dynamic. And so when people came out to see us on tour and there were, you know, eight people, and then 20 people, and 30 people, th you know, th those people were entertained, and the next time we came back, uh, you know, they they came out, and so we went from 100 cap, you know, little, like the corner of a coffee shop, to 300 cap, to 500 cap, to 1,000, 3,000, 5,000, whatever, you know, the, the rooms have gotten bigger and bigger, but the constant has been that it's, you know, we put on a show, it's, it's fun, it's engaging, it's dynamic, um, and I think that that you know that's probably the biggest the biggest thing that keeps it going. It's that the the show is, you know, the thing that we're supposed to be selling. We we know how to do so. We we do that, and I think that's an important thing to kind of you know keep in mind. It's like people can be really excited about you on YouTube or whatever Vine, but like if if like if Sean Mendez was just a cute kid that could sing for a handful of seconds, we wouldn't still be talking about him. He's an entertainer, so I think that that's what it is. You got to you got to put on a show. We put on a show. And you also sort of mentioned, it, it, without saying the word, analytics in a way. You were looking at what you were seeing online and then going to your fans, as opposed to just living in a space and making them come to yeah, you. Like that, that festival that we're at there at the in that clip, that's in Sweden. And so we knew to go to Sweden. Like I, we were, when, we, when I first asked, this is real, when I first asked Spotify for analytics, I say, I, I have no idea about this. Blair, who's my manager, asked Spotify, <laughs> uh, um, asked Spotify for analytics. And they were like, because we were like, we want to route a tour, or the the numbers are so big, we want to use this information to route a tour. And they were like, cool. What sort of information are you talking about? Like, we have no idea what you're asking for. And they and they originally, I got like spreadsheets with just nonsense on it. I mean, looked like nonsense to me. Blair figured it out. But uh, you know, we were able to figure out where the people were listening to the music, and and we went to those people. So the first time I went to Stockholm, I played a 350 cap, cap club. I played solo. We sold it out. Then we went and we played a 750 cap club, and I brought my band, and we sold it out. And then we did 1100, and we sold it out, and we started playing other markets. And like that's at a festival where I was on the same stage as Kanye West. There were 50,000 people singing along to all of my songs, but we only knew to go there because we we followed the the trail that the analytics create it told us to go to Sweden I would have never imagined that we would be in like Malmo I had never heard of Gothenburg until they told me I was going there <laughs> so and how can how do you think uh, Leonard and Maisie have how have they adjusted sort of their online relationship with their fans now that they're not just you know cover songs but they're TV stars how has that sort of adjusted in their relationship with their fans um. <clears throat> I mean, I think in, they've grown, well, one, they've literally grown up with their fans. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, it's it's been interesting to watch, too, with with their fan base. Uh, I find that people either know them from online, from, from their success from YouTube, or from the TV show. So it's fascinating to watch people come, come together. And we're also at this interesting spot, too, where um, they're on a country music television show, yet they want to um, go pop with their own music. So there's that kind of, there's that balance that we've been trying to um, hold on to and, and create. Um, so that's, that's why we've used YouTube as a tool in terms of trying to uh, teach the fans that, listen, we know that you're seeing one thing from them, but they're actually going in a different way. So if you look at all the covers that they do, um, they're strategically songs in which more of the direction they want to go with their own music, uh, more in the pop direction. So, um, are they choosing the songs? Yep, yep. They choose all their songs. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's all stuff that they love, um, and we try to be also really authentic with everything that we do with them. I mean, they get we get branding opportunities left and right with them, and so that's been an important thing in terms of. Uh, making sure that we only do authentic things so that the fans know that when we do put their stamp or their name on something that it is something that they actually love um, which is we found has helped you know in essence with with the brand relationships and creating more value because the brand knows oh if we are going to agree to do something 
Um, we're going to put a lot of effort behind it, and we're usually going to see results from it because the fans are going to know, oh, this is something that they truly believe in and love, so we should check it out too. And can you talk about how Lindsay went from online to, you know, starting to do her, you know, live shows and, you know, bigger rooms and same same thing. Like, how, how do they take this popularity? Lindsay has multiple million streamed videos. How did she all of a sudden start performing out in front of her fans and engaging in, in sort of a person-to-person -person way? Yeah, so it, it predated me, but, um, you know, so she was having all this online success, and, and at the time, you know, she was like, let me, let me, do a show, let me try a show and see if there's actually people who would come and see me. And so she um, she put a band together and she she put on a show at the, in the basement of um, Webster Hall and put it up on sale and, and just was like, okay, and then sold out her very first show. Um, and she was really lucky to have um, a booking agent in the audience who, who said, you know what, I think I can route a tour around this and like, let's go and let's look at your YouTube analytics and let's you know, put it, put a routing together that makes sense. Um, and so they did that and the whole tour sold out every single date. And, um, and it kind of just, you know, kept going up from there. Um, and, and then her merch numbers were insane. So it was, it was like, you kind of just kept feeding the machine and, and kind of trying things out as you go and, and everything she was trying out kept working. And, um, you know, when she came on uh, for management, um, at the time she had already sold 80,000 records independently, um, and there was no physical product. Like, very few, like, at her shows, there, it was not in any retail. So the very first thing we, we did as management was, was expand the distribution and, like, get, it, get the album everywhere. Um, and now that record sold 550,000 copies, all independently. She owns the master, everything. Um, and so... With Lindsay, like she reinvests so much back into her own career to kind of keep the audience engaged, keep making higher quality videos, a, a bigger show, um, you know. And she's a creative force behind it. She's been able to maintain all creative control and freedom. And um, if if anyone's seen her live, like she creative directs the show, um, and and it's pretty much like the way I would describe her live show is she's bringing her videos to life on stage. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that she mirrors her online and offline at the same time. And I think Lindsay is just a great example of what we're talking about, transforming or you know, just bringing your fans from that have only been watching videos or chatting with you in the comment section, bringing them out into, you know, into seeing a live show. Can you just sort of like share like sort of like how she was, her like sort of emotions about that? Like how did that like affect her? Like knowing yeah. that she was able to do this yeah I mean I think when when she started touring and and like going out and meeting the fans like because it's very easy to look at the number like look at the numbers online and be like those are numbers but then when you actually see them in person and you realize they're people um you know I think it I, I think it's been overwhelming and you know more than I don't want to say more than any other artist on a major label but like she respects and appreciates her fans and everything she does is for them because without them she wouldn't have what she has. And so, you know, everything she does really caters to her fan base. Um, is, first off, has there been any uh, Twitter questions? Uh, no, not no questions. <laughs> I didn't anticipate any, but. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I had the followers Lindsay had. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, let's uh, actually, let's, let's look at clip three. We'll see a little bit more Lindsay, a little bit more Ron, and uh, some new endeavors for Lennon and Maisie. Ron, will you just tell us what we just saw? Um, well, um, <laughs> Two so the, yeah, the, well, the beginning <laughs> of that, uh, we were at we were at Radio City, uh, which was a trip. We played on when when David Bowie passed away. Uh, the the City Winery people they'd already they before he died they had planned on doing a tribute to him at Carnegie Hall. They do a tribute show every year at Carnegie, and uh, then he passed away, so they added a second show. So we did the second night, which was at Radio City, uh, with Ari, Michael Stipe from REM, and Blondie, and Mumford and & Sons, and just uh, like a whole bunch of people that I was like, what, what are we, oh my god, did they leave the door open and we walked in? Like, how did we get here? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we did that, and then this year we actually, we did, we just, I guess it was last week, we played at Carnegie Hall for their Aretha Franklin tribute, which... 
also was ridiculous. I called my grandparents. I was like, I can't believe they're going to let me do this, but you should come because I'm probably never going to be back inside of Carnegie Hall ever again. Uh, and so, and then the second, we, we made a movie, uh, like a feature length documentary um, that followed us, uh, the creation of my last album and kind of talked about the contemporary music business and then my place within it. And so that, that we put out last year or the year before and uh, TuneCore, uh, we did a the movie release together. They helped us do this. I think it was important that you said that at the beginning because otherwise I would have say, kept saying, oh yeah, we did this thing with TuneCore and somebody would have gotten upset that they didn't yeah. know to start that we hang out a lot. We hang out a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, just think about that. You know, we saw you living room. Was that in New York as well? That was in New York, yeah. And now we see him in Radio City. like. How do you reflect upon that as a, an artist? Well, I got out of the the subway. We were in we were in New York for something completely unrelated when I found out that I was doing the the Carnegie Hall thing. When I got out of the subway at 57th Street to go to a meeting, and I got an email that said that we were going to play at Carnegie Hall, and I happened to be standing in front of Carnegie Hall when I got it. And I used to play in the subway like you know ten minutes Busking. from there. Yeah, like yeah, I busked in the subway to pay my rent for a number of years, and. Um, so to think, you know, that was a, a lot of years ago now, I guess, but it, but it feels, you know, not so long ago. And so to go from, you know, like now in New York, we're going we're gonna to play Terminal 5. It's a big, it's a 3,000 cap room and like, you, you know, not, not so long ago I was playing in the subway. And so I think, uh, you know, it kind of speaks to the power of the internet and it speaks to, you know, what happens if you kind of thoughtfully shape your narrative and, uh, Try to find people that uh, you know believe in what you're doing and, and and you know and create value for yourself. I think a lot of people, you know, you get caught up in some of the traditional notions of the music industry, and you think oh, I need like a stamp on my ass that says property of this, or I work with these people, and uh, you know, like I think you know, and what I do to some extent is like a fairly conventional thing. You know, I'm like a guy that plays guitar and I write songs and I play in a rock band and I jump around and I get sweaty. But you think about uh, like I, I think, I mean, I keep going back to Lindsay because I think she's so, you know, it's such an incredible thing. Like she does something that is, you know, very, you know, not typically down the center of the mainstream. And she had a notion of of who she was and what she was going to do, and that there were people that would like it. And she sought out those people and she found them. And the music industry, I'm sure, at lots of places, was like, no, I don't know, you're going to play the violin and jump around. I don't know if that's cool. And she was like, I don't care. I'm going to find the people that do think it's cool. And you know, look at her. Like it's it's, un, it's incredible. Yeah. And by the way, we we still believe it or not, still get the people who don't get it because they can't classify it. And and it's like, well, it's not this and it's not that. It's it's classical, but it's EDM. But it, she dances, but there's no singer. Like, um, and like honestly, that's why it works. And so when people still don't get it, I'm like, but. The audience is there. There are people that are getting it. I mean, she honestly does. Like, we work with John Legend. We work with Sierra. Like, all these big artists. I came from the major label. And she does higher merch numbers than all of those artists together. Like, she's doing $8 a head at her shows when other artists are doing maybe 2 or $3 a head. So, I mean, the audience is there. And it's like, what makes it so special is because it is so different. Yeah, and I, th I think being, you know, like I said, you know, seeking out people that value what you're doing, you know, do something great. Start with that, obviously. Do something great that you really believe in and then seek out people that will believe in that thing and support you, you know, and then a real grassroots movement, you, you can create that thing on the internet. Like that's the incredible value uh, that the, the digital age, you know, has brought us this kind of democratization of the music business where there used to be haves and have nots. Now there's, you know, people like us in the, in the middle where you can create something on your own and maybe you don't have access to the, you know, the global multimedia, but you can seek out people that understand what you're doing, foster a, a real grassroots movement within that community. And then if you can go out and put on a show that is dynamic and exciting, you can take that into the world and turn it into a real thing because getting somebody to you know, come to a show and buy a sweatshirt or whatever, you know, obviously is much more lucrative than getting them, you know, even if they stream your songs all day uh, or, or buy all your records on iTunes or whatever, you know, they show up and they become a part of the community. You know, they, 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 then they're interacting not only with you, but with all of the other fans. They're a part of the community and it becomes something altogether different for them. It becomes a, a group that they're a part of. It's not just they're interested in your music or your presence. And, and that's, 
the, I think the most valuable thing. I mean, like as a kid, I wanted to listen to music because it made me feel less alone. You know, like you're a weird little kid sitting in your room playing guitar and you can reach out and you hear that. And I think when you go to a show, you know, you, it, it, that's amplified, that feeling like I'm a part of something. This is, a, this is a community that I am a part of in addition to being in, a, in a, you know, some sort of relationship and, you know, with this artist, I also am a part of this community. I think that's incredibly significant and those people will support you as you move forward if you, if you entertain them. I thought it was interesting, or I thought that it probably applies to all all of these people, and probably most of the audience. Is that Lennon and Maisie talked in their little clip about having a book, it's like something they never dreamed of. But I bet you, Lindsay, Lennon, Maisie, and Ron—they're all big dreamers. They actually are dreaming about what they want to try to accomplish. Um, can you yeah. tell us, like, what Lennon and Maisie are dreaming of next? <laughs> yeah, they. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they. It's funny. They said they never dreamed of being authors, but like you said, I mean, they've always kind of put out this stuff that they love. They're they're artists in the full sense of the word. Um, they're super creative people, and so that oftentimes with really creative people, it's not just limited to one segment. So, um, like one thing that we did this um, actually past year was a, a, a furniture line. We did a whole furniture line with Pottery Barn Teen, which both girls designed a bedroom set um, and a music lounge area and bedding, furniture, everything like that. Um, next, we're working on a clothing line. They both, again, they're super creative. They love to express that in what they wear. Um, so they're each working on um, on that as well. So, but again, every day, every day, um, there's something new coming from them about you know let's try this or let's do this, which makes it really fun um, to take to explore new areas. Um, do you think the big 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 dreamers was the su was the success a little bit of a surprise to them though in some ways? Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> they they definitely were and they still are today. They like. I mean, they get recognized quite a bit from the TV show, um, and every day they're like, I can't believe it. We've got people coming up to us and saying hi, um, which I also think that's part of their charm, too, is, is staying humble and um, appreciative of everyone and, and being grateful. And how does, with everything that's going on, how does Lindsay, does, is she still thinking about, like, what's my next recording, and she's thinking about the record as sort of that's the the tent pole around she built her, her career? Yeah, I mean, honestly, she's like a creative genius and like so many of the ideas she has, you know, in her head kind of are coming out and, and trying to turn them into real world things. So like, you know, we're working on um, a comic book for later this year. Um, we have a documentary, tour documentary. She just directed her first full on like big budget music video that just came out. Um, we're working on some film and TV opportunities. We wanna, um, she wants to kind of start like a violin tutorial lesson plan type thing we're working on. So um, she kind of, you know, like there's all these, you know, things that, that, that are translating into other kind of areas. And we were talking before to some extent uh, where we were saying, you know, the more, the more hyphens you want to add to what you do, the more people want to say to you, stay in your lane, you know, don't design sneakers, you're a rapper, well, whatever. If you want to design sneakers or you want to write a book or, you know, whatever you want to do, I think it's important to feel the freedom as an artist to create and go in any direction that you, you see fit. And then, you know, the, your job, the, the job that we're all doing, you know, that's like the, that's the cool part. The job is trying to figure out how art and commerce meet. You know, how do I take this and make it so I don't have to pull shifts at Starbucks? You know, and, and that's, you know, sometimes the art you want to create doesn't, doesn't go as close to you know, the commerce. The roads don't intersect where you'd like them to. But I think it's important as a creative person to be willing uh, to to you know chase the muse and follow wh whatever the thing is because if you allow yourself to be creative I think that's where you're gonna stumble upon you know the neat stuff that makes it so that you get to keep being an artist uh, for a living yeah and I think where it works best is when you kind of keep whatever it is like you know in Lindsay's case music central to everything else you're doing like that's the the center point and it's like where can I build off that in other areas do you think when Lindsay started making music, was money her object, or was it just expressing herself? Like, how much does chasing the almighty dollar, like, be, is it part of your early strategy, or is it just being a musician? How well, honestly, if, if there's any brands in the room, plug your ears, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> mu music, I mean, 
with Lindsay, I mean, money is is not the object. It, it never was, and, and it isn't central to what she does. Um, it allows her to do everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's not something we focus on, you know, but um, it, it's really, it's it's not central to kind of who she is. And, and you know, she came from a really kind of, you know, um, you know, earnest kind of upbringing and, and, you know, never had money growing up. So it, it you know, just because she's making some now, it's it's not kind of, she's not like, okay, I, I need to get another Porsche, which she doesn't even have. So, <laughs> like, you know. Um, yeah, for us, money is definitely, it's, that is um, usually the fourth or fifth factor that goes into the decision. It's everything else that we first look at it. Is it, is it the right fit? Does it feel like it's the right time in their career? Lennon and Maisie, for example, get headlining opportunities all the time for going out and doing tour, touring, but, um, you know, in their amazing money, but I would say 9.9 out of 10, we're usually turning down opportunities like that, which other people would love something, you know, an opportunity. Um, but it's all about figuring out, again, is it the right time in their career? And if they go out and do a headlining date and they don't fulfill what people assume they're going to be able to deliver, then are those people going to come back again? Just rather take the time and, you know, pass, the mon- pass up the money for now um, and wait till they are ready for that and make sure that those people will come back again for another tour date. That's like, I think a lot of times it's easy to be uh, penny smart and dollar stupid, as they say. It's like, uh, you know, like if you think about the, you you know, you have to, again, you're talking about strategy. It's like if you go out and you play a show and, you know, and you take a bunch of money off of a promoter and then you don't put on a great show, you don't sell enough tickets, you don't do whatever it is that they expect from you. Yeah, it's then it's hard to get to get it back. You know, you're not you're not going to get invited again. Uh, and I I would say though, uh, you know, because I don't want it to say I, I think everybody's saying it's important to value art. Like it's not that money isn't important, obviously, because you need money to make your records and you need money to pay your bills and you know to you know like you can't make a full production music video without a whole bunch of money to make a music video, obviously. And so, I think it's important to be mindful uh, uh, of you know of the business interests, obviously. But yeah, you have to be strategic about what you do uh, because sometimes you take money, you know, you take money now that seems like a lot of money for something and in the future, you know, you, you, you burn a bridge. It's important to, to make the right choice at the right time. But yeah, money is important. I, I, you know, when I was, you know, playing in the subway and, you know, like paying my rent in rolled change, um, <laughs> And this is real. Uh, I like I had been a, a security guard. I had been a waiter. Um, I uh, I sold overpriced pants for a while. Uh, I worked on a loading dock, uh, you know. And so it's like every every you know twelve hour shift that you spend doing some other thing that you don't want to be doing. Obviously, it's twelve hours you don't have to be making your music. So it's you know if you can f- you know when you can figure out how to set it up so that you know, the art and commerce line up and you're still making the kind of art that you, you want to be making and you believe in, you know, then, then you're, that's living the dream, I yeah. guess. That's, you know, that's the idea. Yeah, I mean, and we were talking about this earlier, um, you know, especially with Lindsay, she's at the place in her career where she's really competing with, like, top major label artists. Like, we're going to radio now and, you know, she's the only independent artist right now, you know, on the Hot AC chart that she's competing with. And it's like that costs money and like you look at some of the, the artists that she's competing with and, and you know I came from Warner Music and you know I, knew, I know what kind of budgets they have um, to, to kind of try out but like when, when you look at okay if she's going to stay competitive like we have to be really smart with how much money we're putting in where because you know at the end of the day we could we could try to spend two three hundred thousand dollars on radio and then it doesn't work and then where does that leave Lindsay? Like it, it's, it's, she's taking all the risk. Um, I had a question for Ron. Um, this is the first time I've heard of you ever. Um, no offense, but your brand is amazing and I am incredibly impressed with like what you've done and what I've seen so far. My question to you is uh, what software or tools are you using to engage with and manage your uh, following? Uh. I have a mailing list, like you know, the most basic thing I guess is we have a mailing list, um, and we and we use every social media platform. Obviously, we're on there, and I have a website, um, and then there's a, yeah, we have a, like a street team that's called Team Ron Pope, and so they they have a place where they 
they you know network with one another and talk about their initiatives um, for tour. So we have that, um, and then we mobilize those people when we're on tour. Like we generally will have uh, a contest through that program where they can be a part of the tour team, and two of them come out. I don't know why I air quoted that. It's just the tour team. <laughs> they come out, and you know we give them T-shirts, and they and they help. They hang out by the merch, and they, you know, get people to sign up for the mailing list, and uh, it's a way for them to become, you know, in, involved in the in the process. And then we live in all the places that people are, like on Spotify. I'm always making playlists and and, and trying to interact with the fans there because so many people live there. Huh. Um, and so I would say that's, you know, that's that's a lot of it in terms of what we're doing online. Either of you use specialized software to engage with fan? No, pretty much everything that yeah he had mentioned. I mean, <clears throat> yes, yeah, sometimes I want to say people try to make it a bit more. Um, difficult than it than it needs to be. It is just like Ron says. You need to just be where the fans are, and often, more often than they're on than not, they're on you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so just making sure you are actively engaging with those fans on a daily basis. Yeah, I'd say the same. And one thing, um, I mean, Lindsay was doing this before I came on, but. Um, they, her fans and and her kind of created these Facebook groups. Um, you know, and and they're central to the different territories. So like, there's a German official Lindsay Sterling Facebook group, and they can communicate in German about things going on in Germany that relate to Lindsay, and and they kind of, by having these different communities that fans can kind of meet other fans and engage, it kind of brings up their fandom even more and just helps promote her. And we use that as a big tool. We, you know, we kind of give them special things here and there. And we d yeah, we do that too, because I think it's a, that's an important idea. Like some people want to interact with one another in 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 Dutch, you know. So it's mm -hmm. good to have that opportunity for them to do that. Like not all kids, not all fans speak English, so that's yeah, that's a cool thing. We do. Do you find those uh, regional fan groups sometimes meet up? Yeah, they actually yeah. Uh, they do. Um, online and to offline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. actually, <laughs> there was a really cool. Um, like this was probably about two years ago. Um, we were going to Poland for some press, and uh, it happened to be Lin on fall on Lindsay's birthday, and like we really didn't post to, like anything. I think even about the television appearance, we get outside the TV station, and the Poland fan group had organized a full-on birthday party: balloons, cupcakes, Aww. like streamers, Aww. like everything, Aww. and and came out and sang her happy birthday in Poland. <laughs> Next question, please. Hi. Thanks, all of you. This has been great. I'm a music educator, and I will take all of these stories literally back to the classroom next week. But I'm wondering, in a macro, like, 30,000-foot level, viral success can happen. The Internet's amazing. But is the incubation period longer now? Does it take the years of rejection? Does it take more subway time than you'd think without the accelerant of the label system? I mean, I think it's different for each different mm. person and scenario. Um, I don't think there is any one magic formula. Like, if Lindsay put out a, if, if there was no Lindsay Sterling until right now and she put out a video, would she have had the same viral success she had four years ago? I mean, I think the talent's there. I think it's very possible, but I think she kind of came in YouTube at the perfect time and was kind of, you know, it's it's a lot more crowded now than it was four years ago. But that being said, she's been able to keep her audience. So I, I don't know. I think it's a good question. I think on the industry side, that's where I've seen maybe it takes longer. So perhaps before five, ten years ago, if you were to have a million views on YouTube, you probably were getting people's attention a little bit easier. Now today, I know from me as a manager, you know, I want to see a lot more than a million views. Um, same thing, you know, you hear this all the time, artists talk about, you know, artists that want to get signed to labels, they'll be like, I've got, you know, like five, six, seven million, you know, streams on Spotify, and that's still not even getting me a meeting, whereas, again, before, that probably would have got you a meeting, so, again, I think... gotten you a deal. Probably. Yeah, exactly, yeah, so I think just the standards and what people are more accustomed to now seeing, you know, success like that, so they want to see more. And, like, I feel maybe the least equipped to talk about this because I never, like, nothing in my career really went viral. But I think that to some extent, like, our, like, block by block kind of organic growth approach, like, to, a, to a eventually getting to kind of a critical mass and a real global audience, that's much easier now and can be achieved, like, it takes a long time, but it's much more achievable than any, any other time in the history of recorded music. And so... Yeah, while it's like tough to cut through the noise at YouTube and you know Spotify and other places, it's it's I think it's easier to cultivate 
something on your own outside of the, the major label uh, sphere. So that's my take on that. Um, and to your point, actually, I am part of an independent band, and we do have big metrics on Spotify, and we are trying to tour those markets, and we're just kind of breaking into those. What's the name of your band? Uh, we're called Wild Rivers. We're from Toronto, Canada. Um, and uh, we are just kind of having trouble translating the Spotify fans to people in the crowd because the Spotify fans aren't necessarily Facebook fans, so I was wondering if you had any advice of how to get the bodies in the room based on the metrics if you don't necessarily have access to a big public like publicist or agent or anything like that well i know um there's uh, on spotify like uh, we did a really cool promotion with Lindsay that um when her tour announced i th we gave like a spotify uh window like pre-order window or Jeremy's back there. He, <laughs> sorry to call you out, but uh, he set it up um, over at Spotify, and, and it actually notified uh, people who were listening to Lindsay Sterling that she was going on tour. So there are like you, you might have to form kind of some of those relationships with Spotify to get access to some of those things. But I know that was really helpful for us. But just even Spotify showing shows in your local areas is is a is a new development that's I think really great. Um, and I don't mean to speak for them, but one thing that I saw I've seen before is. To develop markets, sometimes a lead singer will go sort of test the market first, like do a solo show, and then try to bring the band as a secondary. And that's, that's I mean, I was gonna say that's what I did because this is like the scourge of my existence. Obviously, like, you know, like Spotify is where a lot of my you know listener base seems to be, and uh, and this you know inevitably you leave a place like I always say this. We're driving out of Chicago, you know, I'm like in my bunk going to sleep. And, 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 I, and I get a tweet that says, how come you never come to Chicago? <laughs> I'm like, well, I wrote about this on Twitter for seven months while the tickets were on sale. I put up a YouTube video about it. I put it on Facebook. So I mean, at some point, it, uh, to some extent, it is very challenging to cut through the noise, whoever you are and whatever you're doing, uh, because you know Facebook feeds are constantly moving and Twitter feeds. And so, yeah, the direct, the direct Spotify thing, I, feel, I mean, a lot of people seem to be doing those pre-sales and, and I, it's an, it worked for you guys in a positive way. We're we're going to try one now too. So I think uh, also trying to hone in and you know each platform is different in the way it works. Um, you know a lot of people just post the same content to every platform, but in terms of trying to then engage those fans, you know the way that you might do it on Facebook is you know not necessarily going to be the same way as Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. So I think you know really learning and understanding that platform. What is it that makes, you know, like, for example, on Facebook, you know, what is going to get you more views on Facebook versus YouTube? And just understanding those, I think the better you can utilize the platform for their, the tools they offer, the easier you're going to be able to connect with the fans on those platforms. When you first started getting the buzz or the hype, where was the first place you allocated your own funds to push forward as far as, like, marketing or PR? Or when you had a song going viral, for example, like, where did you put the money and you saw the results and got you to the next level? Like I said, mine was very was very gradual. So for me, it was you know little little things needed to happen. Like I didn't have uh, a studio album as a solo artist. I was I was in a band, and then I, I had demos from my bedroom that got popular on the internet. So I needed money to make a record. So I like I did a pre-sale on the internet uh, in the beginning of 2008, I guess, and was like, hey, you guys want me to make a record? I like I don't have any money at all in the world, so <laughs> could could you send me some money? And so basically, I, you know, I pre-sold like I don't know, maybe like ten thousand, uh, not ten thousand, uh, yeah, something. Like, uh, I pre-sold a great deal of records, uh, like on the promise that I would deliver them, uh, because I didn't I didn't have any money, so I had to go get money just to do that. And I would say like, it'll be different for every artist. Like maybe you're gonna need a bunch of you know, fa oh, Facebook ads, by the way. The Facebook ads, you know, like, the, you know, everybody's running lots of Facebook ads, but maybe your audience isn't there. Like, maybe it's something that you need to do with SoundCloud, you know, because you're an electronic artist. Like, so I think it's it's tough to think of a magic bullet solution because it'll be different for every artist and, and you just have to be vigilant, uh, w you know, within your own career, what is happening, what you think that you need, and, you know, looking at other artists around you that are a step ahead of you. What are the What do those people do? What are they doing right now? Uh, because these things also change. You know, it's like uh, trying to promote an artist on a you know whatever like a friendster. Well, that doesn't exist anymore, so that's ir irrelevant. You know, it's like 
the the platforms are going to change like you know if you make if you start making a record now and you're going to put it out next year like the landscape can be fundamentally different like we watched that happen with the shift towards streaming in the last you know 3 or 4 years so it just you know be be vigilant at the people within your community that are a step ahead of, ahead of you i think that's that's a place to start yeah I can kind of give a like a different um, perspective, like for Lennon and Maisie, for example, like I talked about before, fashion is something that they've loved, um, and so we wanted to start to grow that area of their career. So we started investing in different things to help position them in a way where people would see them as these fashionistas. Um, so like we hired a publicist that would help them get in, them into the teen vogues and the 17s, um, and then we. Um, uh, started going to New York Fashion Week every year, um, which costs money. But again, it started putting them, people started seeing them as, oh, they're into fashion. So all that started um, helping us in terms of, well, they then got the Pottery Barn furniture line deal. Um, and then again, the people saw them again in the as designers. Now we have fashion line offers. So we kind of honed in on this area that um, we wanted to grow and looked at ways, okay, well, how do we invest in those areas to help, help position them as people that others look at as, you know, fashion icons, I guess. Yeah, and then with Lindsay, I mean, first and foremost, like, she just kept investing in great content and great videos, um, and then kind of the same, you know, getting that team around her, the publicist, and um, I mean, the great thing with online, um, especially online advertising, is that you can really target it and see the analytics and see what's working and see what's driving traffic and what's maybe not converting. So, you know, with Facebook advertising and stuff like that, you can actually see, like, how effective it is and, you know, kind of test the waters with smaller campaigns before you kind of throw more money into the mix. Um, I'm currently on the hunt for a manager. I was just wondering what your guys' qualities, what you think the best qualities in a manager are to look for. Someone that really believes in you and is passionate about you. Yeah. I think that's probably the number one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, someone who really gets your vision, like, um, because, like, I think, it, like, and, and is supportive of it because I think, I think if you have a different vision than your manager, it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I kind of had a, like a long series of managers that kind of didn't get it and didn't get it, and so and then found you know got one that did, and so I think that that's uh you know that's incredibly important. Like they're saying, it's like you should pick someone that gets what you're doing. Like if you're picking between somebody that is much more, like seems to have more access and someone who is less established but who care, like gets you and gets right. what you're doing and gets where you're trying to go, I would pick gets what I'm doing every time. So cool. That's my and point. is a hustler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hustle. Because if it was easy, everybody would do exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you all for coming. Yeah, thank uh, you guys. I really hope you have a great Thank South you. by Southwest. <laughs>